Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. Welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. Today, we are joined by Naomi Bell, an entrepreneur who went from being a freelancer to opening her own salon in Motor City called NRB, NR Beauty, which offers highly qualified therapists and treatments. The salon brings the world's leading brands, treatments, technologies to the region. Naomi has over 10 years experience in the industry and we'll be discussing how she used that experience uh, entrepreneurial skills to grow the company as well as developing a business strategy after the COVID pandemic. Good morning, Naomi. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. So you're you're dressed in your attire. You're, it's obviously a working day in the beauty salon and you're out in Motor City. Thanks for taking the time out. No, that's fine. Yeah, I'm straight back into treatments after this. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So tell us like what tell us about your business and the journey you've been on. So obviously it's been a hard one. We did open um in February 2020. So only open for about five weeks and we had to close down because of COVID. So it wasn't ideal. Um so it's been a tough journey transitioning from being freelance to then opening the salon. But um yeah, we made it through. Um we opened again in about July last year. So it's been about a year now that we've been back open. Um, but it's good. We're offering something slightly different. Our technologies that we use in our facials are slightly different as well. We're all UK trained therapists, so we've got a lot more sort of knowledge on certain aspects of beauty, um, which I think has really helped us. Yeah. Cool. So, so basically, can you t- talk us through what the salon offers and for people who aren't familiar with it, uh, what, what the, the scope of the services that you provide? Okay, so we are just a beauty salon. We don't offer any hairdressing services at all. Um, our main focus is skincare. So our main skincare brand is Elemis, which is a British brand. Um, and our main face is all technology-based. This includes things like oxygen therapy, light therapy, microcurrent, and things like this. We do offer everything as well, like your normal maintenance, like your nails, waxing, massage, lashes. Um, we are basically everything beauty, um, but we do specialise in skincare. Okay, interesting. What does NR stand for? It's actually my name. My name's Naomi Rose. Ah, so, okay. yeah. <laughs> there we go. NR Beauty. It's a nice brand. And you have a flower rose as well as the logo. Cool. So how did yeah. you kind of, did you decide, you know, that you wanted to own your own beauty salon? Or what was the point that you kind of came up with the idea and, and went about this? Um, so I actually grew up in the Middle East. I grew up in Dubai. Um so I've been here for a long time. Beauty's always been my passion. Um, I did leave. I did all my training in the UK. I worked in different things like spa hotels, salons. And I always knew that I wanted to have my own place, but it wasn't going to be easy to do that in Dubai. Um, so I be- began doing freelance. I was freelance for about five years. Um, and then I took the leap. Yeah, I decided it was, you know, it was time I had a good client base. I was working seven days a week, 12 hour days, and I was ready for that transition into the salon interesting um, so yeah, it obviously wasn't the best time when i did it <laughs> <laughs> it will be in the future you look back and you'd say it was the perfect time but yeah obviously difficult yeah. uh difficult first few months and 12 months so but so the yeah interesting you talk about the freelance there um is is that how busy one is as a freelancer in, in beauty in dubai 
12 hours a day, um, seven days a week? Or was it you or were you busy? Um, or? I don't, it, it just depends. Whereas a lot of freelancers here are part-time. They'll have a main job and then they do beauty on the side or like hairdressing on the side. For me, I've always done beauty. I don't do anything else. So for me, it was a full-time role. Um, it didn't obviously start full-time. It was a couple of days here and there. Um, but again, I was offering something different. Um, and I was very rounded. A lot of freelancers, they specialise in one thing. So I think maybe that's why, you know, the people don't work every day. <laughs> but for me, because I was offering so many different treatments, I, I got busy very fast. So yeah, um, it was full-time for me. You know, I didn't have another income, so... And in terms of commercial nuance and, and business sense, obviously as a freelancer, you have to manage your own books and finances and invoicing and things like that. So that was kind of a good schooling for to kind of Definitely, gear towards. Yeah, because yeah, I've got, you know, control of everything. I had to do everything from the diary, you know, from answering the phone, actually doing the treatments, the finances, everything. So, it, yeah, um, it helped me a lot when opening. I still do a lot of it all myself now um, in regards to like, the admin and things, the bookings. and um, Yeah. And, <laughs> and when you were doing the freelance, were you gearing towards, were you saying that this is NR Beauty or was it, say, Naomi on WhatsApp? Or were you kind of gearing towards something more professional as you yeah, so in, in the beginning it was myself I always addressed it as Naomi um because obviously I was I was a person um but eventually sort of after the first year I turned it into NR Beauty and then we went you know and everything was always hello welcome to NR Beauty and I tried to, to transition it quite a long time ago ah good um, so that yeah, so yeah. so it's yeah exactly so you were kind of building the customer base but just building the the service level and the standards so it kind of exactly. the you know, even though you weren't physical, you were definitely sort of uh, focused on making a kind of a business entity out of it. Exactly. Okay. So a lot of people um, in the end, when they used to contact me, they didn't realize I was a freelancer. They did think I was a salon because I'd always been advertised as a name. Mm. Um, that's what I wanted. I wanted a brand. I didn't want a person as such, you know, because yeah. I knew I was going to have other therapists and everything in the future. So Yeah, interesting. It's such a it's such an interesting approach to entrepreneurship in terms of, every industry not just beauty but anything that has a retail or physical price that you can start like that and you can start with digital tools and whatsapp business and now there's different payment gateways and things like that so it's good to see someone who actually did that through the pandemic yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly and but um going back a little bit on your your training so what are the kind of what was your courses that you studied what's your expertise and what are the kind of options to to people who want to kind of a career in, in the beauty industry at the moment so to be honest in Dubai it was very hard at the time um I left school in 2012 I didn't really have any option but to go back to the UK um, so I did a two-year course um, I was working alongside that as well while I was at college um, I did a full beauty therapy um NBQ two and three um, and then I've done a lot of courses since that. So then once I was working full time, I've done like my level four, my level five in skin. Um, yeah, I've done, I've done so many courses, to be honest. I've probably done about 50 since I left college. <laughs> oh, my main okay. end was my two and three. Yeah. And, and what are they for someone who doesn't know? Like what, what, what do you learn so about? Your yeah. beauty therapy, like in your year one is your level two. And you tend to do like your nails, your waxing, all your basic sort of beauty knowledge. And then your level three, people tend to specialise. I did the holistic route. So I did more like the massage, the um, Indian head, hot stones, and all those kind of treatments. Whereas some people choose to go down the different route where they do like electrolysis and things like that. 
So in your second year, you do more of the body and the facials. Okay, interesting. And what's happened since then? Is there more opportunities for courses like that in Dubai? Is there, is, are there universities? There is now. Um, there is, but I, I don't really know anywhere that does a full, you know, if obviously college in the UK, you'd go for two full years, you'd be able to get a job on the side. It's very hard in the industry here. You can't necessarily work while you're studying because you have to have so much experience to get your licensing and things here. So it's still not there. It's getting better, mm. but I wouldn't say it was there yet. Um, so then to employ people in, in the spas and salons across Dubai, there, there isn't actually that many talent in the country. And a lot of people have to be kind of uh, come in for that job. Is, is yeah. it hard to recruit? It is, yeah. Um, one of my friends actually owns a recruitment company here, but it's even hard for her because a lot of the people she has are in the UK or they're in South Africa and things like that. So mm. a lot of them have to be flown over. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So what, so obviously, you know, the industry quite well and you've worked in it. Um, yeah. I think, you know, sometimes people who work in it see how hard it is and then don't believe maybe that they can do just what other people are doing, which might be the obvious business, the kind of traditional tried and tested business model. Why did you choose, uh, you know, a bricks and mortar clinic versus the other trends in the industry, which might be digital or might be um, e-commerce or might be other things? What, what was your sort of uh, decision process around that? For me, it's, you know, it's, it's what I've always known. It's how I've always done it. So I didn't want to change that, you know, but there's a lot of people doing it in different ways and, you know, having different types of treatments and things like that. But for me, this is what I know. Mm. Um, and and that, that's why I stuck with what I knew. Okay, interesting. And then setting up the business itself in terms of licensing and, and the location in Motor City, how did you kind of go about that? And um, did you... Um, so I, I actually grew up in Arabian ranches. So I spent about 12 years in the, you know, so in this area, um, I actually live in Mira myself, so a lot of my clients were over this way. So for me, it made sense. You know, I didn't feel like there was anyone here in this area necessarily doing what we're doing. There's a lot mm. of salons, JLT, the marina, um, on the palm and things like that. But I didn't feel like this side of Dubai had what we could offer. Mm. Um, and yeah, and that's why I chose this. The licensing was a difficult one, um, but I got a good PRO that helped me with all that. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do, what what license do you, do you need to get for Motor City? Is it which... So we're uh, Dubai mainland. Okay, so it's um, mainland. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, because it's a physical store as well. Yeah, interesting. And um, yeah, and then how did you go about? Well, first of all, how would you know that the demand is there for the type of uh, service that you're doing? Uh, yeah, like, uh, and how have uh, people's uh, behaviors and uh, trends? Like, how have people changed? What sort of beauty services that they they want? I think, you know, obviously because I was working in this area already, I knew where the demand was and what the people were looking for. Mm. Um, where maybe there was a bit of a gap in the market on this side of Dubai with things like, you know, say microdermabrasion or dermaplaning, like these types of facials that no one else was really doing in this area. Mm. Um, and they were the questions I was getting asked, you know, all the time. So that's why I knew it was a good location for that. Mm. Um, Trend-wise, you know, it's also the communities. You have a lot of school mums around here, and they're the ones that are wanting these treatments. They'll try new things. And mm. um, we did a lot of research on how many people were here, different nationalities and things like that as well. Yeah. Interesting. And also, you talked to ter therapists as well. Sort of, what what is the sort of, what do you need to run a salon? How many therapists do you need? What sort of qualifications do they need? Uh, yes, yeah, so all our therapists we've got at the moment, they've all got UK qualifications because... That, that's what I know, it's what I'm familiar with. 
um I know they've been trained to a certain you know to the same standard I was like at least the basic knowledge mm. and I feel like if I know how they've started it's much easier for me to help them grow and um, there's a lot of different tech you know places that you can train you can do like a three-month course and things like that but for me a full two-year you know MBQ or iTech is what I think people need as a good basis because if they've managed to get themselves through that and not give enough then you know they're gonna you know they've got the basics there um yeah that's, yeah, that's interesting as well because I think like in in the in in industries you know someone explained to me the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist and it's you know many people kind of debate whether university and degrees are worthwhile but it's as you described it it's that ability to stick with something for a few years and not say oh I like this trend I'm going to be a beautician for a week or whatever or PT for yeah. a week it's not it's not actually there's not as much substance to it. So I think that you identify that and the people you bring on board is is, is important. Yeah, because, you know, if someone does a three-month course, it might sound all nice and rosy and it's not hard work. But if you've stuck at it for two years, you realise it's quite an intense job. It's like a manual labour job. Mm. And I don't think you can figure that out in three months. I think you need a good amount of time yeah. training to understand that. Yeah. Um, and then other as well, just sticking on the kind of the business setups and structure. So... Uh, I've I've been inside. I've had some fancy facials in Dubai. I've been to lots of luckily in lots of nice spa places and things like that. And I've seen uh, the expensive equipment and the different types of laser machines. Uh, I'm thinking of one in particular. Uh, how much of investment is needed? Do you have to buy the best machinery and devices? Yeah. So for our facials, we use Elemis, um, and the Elemis Biotech machine um, has five different technologies on it. You know, we've got two of those machines in the salon downstairs. Um, we're actually the only salon to have two of them um, mm. at the moment in the GCC. But yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a big investment to start out with. They're around, let's say, 45000 for example, for a machine like that. Um, Dollars or dooms? Dooms, yeah. yeah. Okay. But just like a standard facial machine. There's obviously a lot of more machines that are more expensive as well, but they do different things, like your laser facials and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so the investment is quite high to begin with, but you know it's worth it because you can always change, and there's so many things you can offer with these machines. You know, you're not just offering one thing. So yeah, definitely, that's interesting, especially if there's five different types of things as well. Um, and is it like, do you do you once you have more demand, do you get another machine? Is it like another seat, and then more? Do you kind of grow yeah, with demand? Yeah, exactly. Because obviously, in the beginning, we had one, for example, and you know if this. There's um, three of us full-time downstairs and we've got someone part-time. So there's four therapists, mm. but there's only one machine. So at the time, we could only offer one biotech facial at a time, which is why then we had two, because now we've got two bigger rooms and we've got two machines. Um, so obviously, as we grow, we'll need more. Um, were there interesting? Were there any sort of digital things that you set up at the start in terms of booking software, scheduling software, appointments, and things like that? Is there, is there anything that yeah, you can... Um, I, I started using a company called um, Fresher. So oh, yeah. I started that when I was at home and it was the same system that I've transferred across. Okay. Um, so my clients already knew what it was. They knew they get the text messages. So then when it came to the point where they have to put their card details on and things like that for, you know, security, yeah. they already trusted the software because I'd used it for three years. So That's great. Yeah, I, uh, I really yeah. <laughs> they're, they're good guys. They're good kind of Dubai-based as well, startup company. And yeah. it's great to see that the you know all the different kind of beauty salons and different services have got a good local tech stock partner as well oh, to definitely. kind of help with that and in terms of payments and things like that did you what were the kind of did you have 
which uh, platform did you choose? Which kind of payment gateway did you choose? Or actually, in the beginning, um, with COVID and everything, we stopped accepting cash, um, so we had to use Fresher. So it went, in the beginning, we were using Fresher Pay, and people were just it's an online system done through the US, similar to PayPal, mm. and that's how we did it. And then we now have a card machine, so everything is just done on the card machine now. Interesting, um, and and yeah, and then so, so in. What did you actually, you kind of alluded to at the start, but what did you have to change in terms of guidelines and uh, practice when the pandemic started? And <laughs> Obviously, because we're so close to people and most of the things we do, people don't have a mask on, you know, so like all the girls and myself, we still have our masks, we wear shields, the rooms are completely fogged between each client. Um, the thing is, in the salon anyway, hygiene was very high, you know what I mean? Before that, we always cleaned everything, changed the towels, so it wasn't too much of a big change. It was just making sure the little things that maybe would get missed when you were busy were always done. Mm. You know, so at the moment now we're still, like I said, we've still got our shields on. We're still very protected as therapists, you know, to protect the clients. So. Mm. And did you find that people were afraid to go back at the start? And how was that sort of uh, process? In, in the beginning, we had a lot of anxious clients. Um yeah, it was tough. You know, people were coming in and they didn't want to take their mask off, but they'd come in for a facial and obviously they have to have it off. Mm. And it, it, it took, I think, a few months. I'd probably say three months before people started to relax. Um, the good thing is a lot of my clients had already had them for five years, so they knew me. They knew, you know, that obviously I, I was going to be very important with the, the hygiene. Hygiene was a big thing for me to make people feel comfortable. Interesting, um, excellent. And um, how did... So obviously those customers kind of came with you. Was there word of mouth or did you find... There was other ways to sort of reach uh, customers and get the mar- word out there and do marketing. Yeah, to be honest, when I was freelance, it was all just word of mouth. Um, even with the salon now, um, we've only just really started doing a lot of advertising, um, you know, to try and get people to understand where we are. The location is different. I'm not freelance anymore, even though, you know. And um, but yeah, it was all word of mouth in the beginning. Mm. I had a small client base and then it just it grew from there. Interesting. And so the the opening hours, you know, to be kind of flexible for people, like, uh, yeah. what are your opening hours? Um, so we're open sort of like nine till eight. Um, we're currently open six days a week. We will be opening on Fridays from next week as well. Wow. So. Full on. <laughs> Lots of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, we kind of discussed offline as well there. Like, it just seemed like uh, a really good area, kind of an upcoming area. And, you know, obviously Dubai yeah. is expanding and moving outwards as well. It's it's just if it, from when you were grew up, it must be have changed a lot around there. Oh, it has. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Motor City when it was originally built, it was somewhere that was meant to be like it is now, but it never ever grew, and it sort of stopped. Spinney's was there, and that was it. But over the past sort of five years, especially, it's really growing. There's so many different communities here now that it's always busy. You know, whenever you're driving through, it's it's such a busy place, um, which is why I chose it. To be honest, yeah. yeah. It's a good place good in catchment area and people are you know i i, I something um yeah we're i'm move, we're moving office eventually out of jlt and i was um i hope my dentist isn't listening to this but i was thinking <laughs> i used to go to the dentist in jlt for the last four or five years and i was thinking oh there must be one out near production city mostly so i think people will start thinking of services near them as well like yeah and yeah. start looking for it like that as well there's yeah. a lot of new hairdressers and things around here as well and people are definitely starting to sort of going all the way to the marina or business bay for things they're definitely keeping it closer to home i think now. yeah super interesting but so how kind of um broad question but how competitive is it like how 
you know, w- w- when people say they're going to set up a restaurant in Dubai, people sort of know the how competitive it is. They know how many burger places they are. That, but, so how competitive it is in terms of uh, beauty salons? Huge. <laughs> There's huge competition here. Obviously, you know, back home, you'd only have one or two salons to choose from, for example. You know, you'd have your local hairdresser's local beauty salon. Here, you know, even on the street, there could be 20, 30 salons. You know, it, it, it's a very big industry in the Middle East, but you just have to be different. You have to stand out. You have to offer different things and not follow the crowd as such, you know. Mm. A lot of places offer your same treatments, which is why we're trying to be different. We're trying to give people a different experience, you know, different bring different knowledge to the um, industry as well. Yeah. And so, the the you know, before sort of uh, different trends and before, um, yeah, before kind of, before people uh, start using beauty services that wouldn't use before obviously females and, and males would use would do facials and manicures and pedicures and and different types of services but do you think that uh in this region that it's even more dialed up or more money is spent uh from a service point of view uh in this area yeah i think a lot of people have got a more disposable income for things like beauty treatments for looking after themselves hmm. um and I think people are also more willing to try new things because there's so many options, you know, they can hear about 10 different treatments on a daily basis that they want to try and they want to know which one's the best one. Mm. Whereas I think in other places, especially back home in the UK, if you've only got one salon, you, you only learn about what they're offering. You don't learn about all these different competitors and what they're bringing to the market as well. Mm. So I think people are definitely more willing to try new things because they can hear about all these different options. So yeah, yeah it's definitely a, a sort of, industry that's that's developing a lot faster i think in the middle east than a lot of other places but but also do do you think that you know obviously uh you know hair salons are the 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 frequency would be quite similar in different countries of how frequently people would get get their hair done and depending on surplus income and things like that but do you think certainly my observation and correct me if i'm wrong is the frequency of uh nails being done and things like that is more here and in this region than in the uk and ireland yeah i think a lot of it as well is our lifestyle you know and for women say at home you know there's a big portion where it's winter and you wouldn't have say for example your toes out they'd always be in boots whereas here because of the climate people out a lot more you know they're always around the pool and things so like nails and all these maintenance treatments waxing it has to be done more frequently yeah interesting that's a that's a good more conscious of that i think as well so yeah and it becomes more of a behavior it becomes like a weekly thing and it's and it's that's really interesting so do you cater to that do you have kind of packages like almost like subscription do you have or do you just kind of weekly Uh, we do have facial packages so we have different courses it's either six facials or ten facials people can sign up to they can have them weekly they could have them monthly and we sort of cater it for them yes we do have different packages we have packages for like reflexology for example and things like that as well Mm, interesting yeah Yeah, because you know the reason i kind of asked that line of question is because uh recently on the podcast we've had people who've set up e-commerce beauty companies and a lot of their reasoning for doing this is they they talk about the kind of big figures of total spends per person per capita in the region on beauty and it's often associated with products and and often associated with uh yeah products like that you would do at home etc but not many people see it in the way that 
that you're doing it, which is services and and beauty salons and things like that. So so, do, but do you think that both are an opportunity? And would you, you know, some of the products that you bring in, do you sell them separately? And do you look at the kind of products? Yes, yeah, so yeah, so we do. We do sell all our products as well that we offer in the treatments. We sell all our Elemis range, and we have things like Olaplex. We, yeah, we do sell all the products as well. Um, I think you know it's a massive industry here for the beauty products people seem to have 20 different facial items they use yeah it doesn't necessarily mean they know how to use them and that's where we're trying to fill that gap and we're trying to educate people on how to use those products they're spending all this money on um as well do you know what i mean so it's yeah i think a lot more knowledge for that needs to needs to happen as well how are you how are you going about that are you kind of doing it on a customer customer basis or do you have different types of online information and things like that so everything that we do product-wise is always customised. Everyone's skin is so different. Their lifestyle is different, you know. Um, and that's what we like to focus on. Even our facials, everything is customised to each individual. Mm. Um, I'm not really someone that believes that if something, you know, is a new product out, it's going to work for you and you, you know. Everything is very different. Um, so what works for one person is not always going to work for someone else. So, yeah, I'm always very focused on customising. And, and, you know, the core products that you have is related to that uh, company, Elementus, that you have the machine for. Uh, but do you look at other products that aren't necessarily in the yeah, region? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, I'd always recommend, say if someone comes to us and they don't even have a routine, I'd always recommend something very affordable to start with. Mm. Before you recommend these bigger brands, because if you don't have a basic routine, there's no point investing in the bigger brands, you know, mm. until you've got your... And people then gain your trust from that, you know. They see this, you know, the small changes these first products are, are doing, and then they'll develop that relationship after that. And are people more interested in uh, different types of products now that are organic or clean beauty and things like that? And do you get requests like that? Yeah, yeah we do a lot. Yeah, we get always asked about like vegan lines and things like that. And people are definitely more interested where their products are coming from, where the ingredients are coming from interesting how do, how do you kind of stay on top of all that how do you kind of source the new products and where do you kind of what countries do you get them from so all our products actually come from the uk at the moment um you know the brands themselves are very good i think now staying on top of the market and staying on top of the game there's always new releases and um, the reason i actually chose elemis as a brand to use is because they control a lot of where their ingredients come from so for example the type of rose that goes into a, an oil you know, they've got a farm and it's a little farm in the UK that, you know, it's the only people that grow that for them and, think, and things like that. So mm. they, they always um, make sure they know where their ingredients are coming from. So then for us, when we're telling customers, I can, you know, guarantee that I know where that product's come from. Yeah. Whereas a lot of the, big, you know, some of these big brands, you, you just don't know where the ingredients are coming from. Yeah. It's, so it's a lot easier. Uh, exactly. It's very commercial and it's sort of, and they were, they were created at a time where, people weren't as environmentally conscious so even if they wanted to change or if their marketing changes the original product mightn't have been from the kind of roots it's interesting um so just uh, more particularly around beauty uh, routines and sort of uh behaviors what what do you kind of what's the normal frequency for say facials if we're talking about skincare uh that people would come to a, a, a your clinic and then your salon and then also um what's the typical routine that one would have you know do they do they have do they use three different products in an evening and again three different products in the morning or or what what do you kind of observe from your customers like for facial wise i mean most our customers come once every four to six weeks 
um because a lot of our a lot of our facials you know they include very deep exfoliations they can only have that once a month for example um we have some ladies that are on courses for anti-aging and they have to come more frequently but i'd say you know the, on average it's normally once every four to six weeks mm. then for their home care you know it completely differs i mean if someone doesn't have a routine i'd normally start them with maybe two or three products in the morning and evening to not overwhelm them but you know your clients that are kind of you know they've they've got all these products they've they've invested in it all they could use up to six products in the morning six in the evening it completely depends really um yeah I mean, I'm, I'm someone that I believe don't use too much. I think we can use too much on the skin mm. as well. So I like to sort of, I think balance is good, but if someone's got them and they want to use them, you have to advise them how to, so. So generally for the, so for the uninitiated, what, what do you think the skin needs on a daily basis, you know, particularly in Dubai? Do you think, yeah. Especially in Dubai, I think we have to, you know, cleansing is obviously the most important. There's a lot of pollution here. There's a lot of dust in the air. So cleansing is definitely the number one. Um, toning, you know, toning is important, but I, I prefer toning with like a natural rose water, you know, one that you'd cook with, something that you'd ingest yourself. Um, this is very good for like the hydration on the skin. Um, and then moisturizing. Moisturizing is so important. It's one of them things that people go, my skin's oily, I never moisturize. Even oily skin needs to be moisturized in this okay. heat. You know, dehydrated skin's gonna age faster. And unfortunately, because of the AC and the heat here, everyone is dehydrated whether they're oily or not <laughs> that's interesting so you kind of recommend that those as a core basis twice a day yeah, at yeah. least yeah and then yeah, a facial yeah, once a month okay cool noted <laughs> brilliant <laughs> so um uh i'm actually going on a podcast later today with a friend who's setting up uh who's setting up um skincare for men and it's he's really yeah, passionate I mean, about it and it, it's kind of more of an e-commerce platform but they came around to my apartment um, a few days ago to do a shoot in the morning. And I do the normal, like, I, I use, you know, products that I pick up in the airport. And I kind of, uh, you know, just don't really know what I'm doing sort of thing, but know it's important. And uh, But what he brought over a few products, and I was just amazed with the detail, the expense of them. Like, one of them one of them has, um, I think, I might have the right wrong word, but has the... the I think retinol or that alcohol type sense, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. And, and it created um, a sensation on the face and he explained what that does and how they, um, you know, how they made that proprietary and things like that. So it's, it's a really kind of deep level, you know, you can get, you can really kind of learn a lot about it. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of science behind skincare now. It's not just slapping on a few things, you know, there's so many different um, acids and things we can now use on the skin, which 10 years ago you wouldn't have have access to as a home care routine you know you would never have had access to different acids and hyaluronic acid and vitamin c's and things like that whereas now you can buy these and use them at home mm. um how would, crazy. <laughs> how would one use vitamin c is that is that part of the kind of cream or do yeah is that how you apply it yeah so um vitamin c oh, there's a big debate on this to be honest <laughs> 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 I, I i always tell my clients just to use it in the evening there's probably going to be hundreds of people that listen to this and say use it in the morning for me vitamin c is very active on the skin people tend to use it for things like pigmentation for brightening the skin for the overall skin health as well i say in the evening because it reacts with the sun and if you're putting something on the skin that reacts with the sun and you're trying to use it for pigmentation to me it doesn't make sense to wear it through the day mm. there's plenty of people that will disagree so. yeah interesting <laughs> but well you know when when you know, you, everyone's skin is different and everyone's routine should be different. So how 
how do people go about knowing what skin they have or how, you know would they obviously speak to a ther- to one of your therapists yeah. and they yeah, would say yeah so for us you know we tend to always invite people in for a skin consultation to begin with you know a lot of people will message the phone and they'll say can I book for this facial and a lot of the time we'll say we'll come in first we'll have a look at your skin and you know we have to understand what they're putting on their skin every day for some people you know the products they're using are already too harsh it's the wrong products um so we need to understand their skin before we go and say you can have this facial that facial mm. um, we like to take our time and actually understand what they're doing and what they've had before in order to help them more okay so so some of the things that you would tell them is whether they've got dry skin or oily skin and the type of things that they should be doing in the future and yeah the, the first thing i always ask is you know what is their concerns because for me to look at someone's skin, I might notice something, but it might not even have be a concern of theirs. Mm. You know, someone might come to you and you might see, you know, so they've got a lot of breakouts, but their concern is their fine lines around their eyes. So I always like to understand what their concern is before I say, you know, before I say anything, before I tell them what I think. Mm. Because it's, you have to understand what, what is bothering them. Mm. Interesting. And again, you know, you're doing it more in person and you're kind of really kind of, and I guess that's... um it's the opposite to this world of digital it's more of a personal touch but yeah. maybe with skin that we can't really digitize skin because we're not avatars yeah, <laughs> yeah you know during covid a lot of people were doing online consultations and things like this but for me i'm very hands-on i like to touch the skin in order to understand it a lot more and that's just it's just a personal preference so yeah yeah i think it's it's good it's good to it's important um you know that i think i think customers see that and they notice that i think if if someone is passionate about a topic or an industry if you go to if you go for a service whether anything to do with skincare hair care or physio or anything and if the practitioner is talking to you about the football or gossip or things like that or when are you going on your holiday or if they're really trying to understand why you're there then you kind of you have more trust in them as well yeah exactly yeah you know and that's what it's about you know we want our clients to come back we don't want them to come once and not come back again so it's developing those relationships and the trust and the more they trust you the more they're going to want to try new things and when we bring new technologies and new treatments they're going to be willing to try them so Mm. okay interesting um learning a lot here Naomi thank you very much (laughs) (laughs) but what so just kind of um moving on to other topics but basically what's your view of business in general like if you know cross irrespective of beauty what's your kind of philosophies and and principles on business and how do you approach it for me you know I just believe I've always been someone who you have to have a passion for what you're doing I think it's okay having all the money in the world but if you're not passionate about what you're doing whether it's beauty whether it's you know automotive anything I just feel like it's then very hard to keep your heart in it Mm. especially through things like COVID I think it definitely made people realize they were maybe in jobs they didn't love you know they had businesses they didn't didn't want to carry on and I think for me that's the number one thing you know if I ever fell out of love with what I was doing I'd you know I'd have to question what I was doing every day interesting but but you could do that and you could work at another you could be passionate about what you do and work for someone else why would what's your kind of view on entrepreneurship in terms of you know do do you think that this is a vocation a purpose a a mission to kind of create something meaningful over a long time or I've I've worked for I've worked for people in the beauty industry I've worked in hotels I've worked in different salons and for me I felt like I didn't have the voice that I wanted um, I feel like I've got a lot of knowledge to share and just a different view on the industry um, and that, that's what drives me you know I feel like if you've got something to tell people and something to show 
just go for it. <laughs> Brilliant. Cool. And what about sort of Dubai? Uh, you know it more than most, having spent most of yeah. your life here. What, what's your kind of view on Dubai in terms of business capital? Business it's a hard place. Well, it's not easy. Um, you know, I don't think anyone can just come here and open a business. I think it takes a lot. Um, even down to the licensing, your sponsors and things like this. There's a lot that goes into it here. Mm. They don't make it easy. <laughs> and I think COVID showed a lot of us that, you know, we had a lot of bills to pay. We didn't have any income. You know, it wasn't like back home where you got a lot of support. So, mm. yeah, there's definitely not the support here. I think that maybe there could be. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think people that do it, I think they've, you know, they've taken a lot of time and thought to do it. Mm. Um, and, and the th yeah, I think, you know, people will empathise and recognise that there are definitely startup challenges and there's sort of admin and there's, you have you feel like you have to do everything yourself and and that sort yeah. of stuff. But 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 is there the is there the the opportunity or the flip side to that? Like you know, it, although it's competitive, it's still potentially a really growing economy. And and to do what you're yeah, doing, yeah, a hundred percent. You know, just like we were talking about before. You know, the fact that people use beauty a lot more here. You know, they've got routines where they're having things done more frequently. The opportunity to grow here, I think, is is a lot higher than other places. Even though there is that competition. Mm. I feel like if you do the right thing, and even you know, not just in beauty and anything, I think if you've got a niche and you've got the right thing, Dubai is a very good place to grow. And is that where your focus is? Will remain in Dubai for now, or do you kind of look at the region, or do you look at other opportunities, or maybe Abu Dhabi, or do you kind of say, "Hey, this is what I'm doing well, now." So I, think, I think for now, you know, Dubai is where we need to grow, where we need to, you know, a very young business yeah and um, even though i've been open and i was freelance as a salon we're still very young you know so i think once people trust us and things like that then we, you can move into abu dhabi you can go to saudi but i think if those places have to see it work in dubai first mm. and then they're going to trust you when you move to the different locations yeah yeah definitely yeah and uh you know we saw three new highways announced uh recently and the population numbers are going up i, I read somewhere that it's 4.4 million during the day in Dubai now, that, you know, 3.4, I think, total, that's a lot more than when you were growing up here, right? Oh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It is. I've seen the country grow, you know. I used to live in Sharjah and did a lot of my schooling in Sharjah because Dubai wasn't here. <laughs> you know, Dubai was like Wapa City and Deira and things like that. None of this existed. Yeah. It was just sand and camels. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely growing. So in sort of five, ten years' time, what, what would your hopes, uh, you know, be for uh, NR Beauty? You know, hopefully have a few more branches, maybe in Abu Dhabi, you know, Saudi, places like this. Mm. i definitely love to explore training and bring that to the, you know, to um, Dubai and to the Middle East. I feel mm. like it was something that growing up, I had to leave my family, I had to leave my home because I couldn't do what I wanted to do here. Interesting. Um, and like I said, there is places now offering that training, but I feel like it, it could still be better. You know, there could still be more opportunity for people. So I'd mm. love to look into that. Uh, but do you think, you know, I didn't mean that in a leading way in terms of that the future needs to be bigger or better. Like in terms of if, if, if someone sets up a, a salon in Dubai, can they have a sustainable business from a salon and, can it be sort of a meaningful uh, lifestyle business as well? Yeah, 100%. If it's done correctly and, you know, it's done right, you've got the right clientele and, you know, people trust you, 100%.
Brilliant. You don't need to have 20, 20 locations. I think it can definitely be done with one. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, we'll leave it at that. I think I trust you enough to recommend that my, that, that my mum pays NR Beauty a visit in the, in the near future. But thank you very much, Naomi. <laughs> No, thank you for having me for the time this morning and yeah we'll follow follow you online and we'll look forward to seeing the growth of nr beauty thank you so much thanks hey guys i'm richard fitzgerald this is dubai works where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city that business with scalability was very interesting to me i like building something that has legacy That's it for another episode of Dubai Works. Thank you so much for listening and please leave a review on the podcast platform that you're listening to. It really helps with organic searches. Also, if you'd like to appear on Dubai Works or know someone who has an inspiring business story in Dubai, please do get in touch on any of the smashy social platforms.